This podcast is brought to you by Stella Artois. When you're planning to enjoy everything Houston has to offer, especially all the great restaurants in our city, start with Estella. Whether you're going to eat with friends or solo, start with Estella. Stella Artois. Enjoy responsibly. Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map bi-weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. This is the Tuesday show where we talk about some news in the restaurant world, along with share some impressions from a couple of restaurants we have dined at recently. To do that, I am joined by my co-host this week. She's the owner of Avondale Food and Wine, Mary Clarkson. Welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm doing very well this morning. I'm excited to be here, or afternoon, I guess, but my version of morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. Let's dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, had a couple of closings that we should make note of, I think. Let's start with Acme Oyster House. This is the New Orleans-based restaurant that claimed the historic Tower Theater space that had been home to El Real for a restaurant that opened in 2021. They had a, a long Facebook post where they cited a whole bunch of challenges that they had been unable to overcome, like difficulty sourcing ingredients and labor issues and, and all of that. But uh, Difficulty just sucking in general, but yes. Well, <laughs> yes. Let me, let me just ask you. I mean, you know, we, I, it, it, was, it was pointed out to me that you commented on our Instagram post uh, <laughs> that, that your opinion was that it sucked. So, uh, <laughs> elaborate, Mary Clarkson. Okay. So, first of all, I love all things New Orleans. So does my mother. Like, we have a rich history of going to New Orleans often. Acme Oyster House in New Orleans is amazing. It's great. It's the OG. It's the real deal. This often happens with restaurant concepts that either try to do multiples of an original location that's really good and maybe those other locations don't do as well or they franchise. Anyway, Long story short, my understanding is that this is a little bit different ownership uh, group than the original, and the space is totally different, and it just doesn't have the feel. I mean, New Orleans is in the quarter. This location, it's small, it's intimate, there's always a line, so it didn't have any of those things going for it, and I mean, we're heavily, as you can tell just in this last year, uh, becoming more and more well-known for seafood spots. I mean... So many top restaurants that opened in the past year have been oyster-driven and seafood-driven spots. So I think there's a lot of competition, and they weren't holding their holding up to their um, you know prestige of their New Orleans location. Yeah, you know, I I think that's right. I mean, I remember going uh, with a big group of friends. I I don't remember if you were there that day or not, but I was not. Okay, well, <laughs> well, we we went with like five or six of us, right? We were excited to try it. We ordered a whole bunch of stuff on the menu and we liked the roasted oysters quite a bit and everything else was just kind of like, I can get a better version of this, whatever Cajun dish at BB's Tex Orleans, which has yeah. been in Montrose for, you know, forever now and, and recently relocated to a larger location. So, or you can you know, go get I the think... Big Mac oysters at Nobis, which come on, that's like the most fire oyster dish I've ever had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, right, but those are those are more expensive. It's a different environment. It's like a whole different thing. Like I, I think I think 
for for Acme, right? I think I think that BB's comparison is kind of apt. It's a it's That's a casual fair. Louisiana inspired seafood, you know, mostly seafood restaurant. And and if for Acme, if you if you're bringing all this prestige of being from New Orleans, and it's you know, in my opinion, not as compelling as as the local option. Well, I'm I'm going to go local every time. And and then yes, I think as you alluded to, you know, this wave of new seafood restaurants. Or or places that kind of dabble in that kind of food, like everything from Winnie's and Josephine's to substantially more upscale places, you know, that we've been talking about for months now, Navy Blue, Littles, Clark's, whatever. All of that just I think made it really hard for Acme to compete. Now, you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna spend too much time, more time on this, but you know, this is an interesting space, right? It was Hollywood video for a long time. Uh it had a good run as El Real. It's a it's a great location from my perspective, you know, right in the heart of everything that's going on. In Montrose, we know that Drake's Hollywood has claimed the former underbelly space across the street. That's supposed to open maybe by the end of the year, but more realistically, probably in early 24. That'll be an upscale steakhouse. That'll definitely have some attention. You know, we know we've got the Montrose Collective just on the other side of Montrose. It's got a bunch of restaurants that are doing very well. And Mary, you and I have heard rumors that this property at 1201 Westheimer has recently changed hands. And I have uh, confirmed as of this morning it has changed hands because I've seen the real estate records. Oh, well, if you've seen the real estate records, then we could say out loud that Radome Capital, the <laughs> the the firm that, that did the Montrose Collective and Heights MKT and, and a whole bunch of other developments around town has acquired this property. So if if we were talking to Steve Radome right now, what what do you he think? He may not be go? happy that you just spilled the deets, but uh Well, yeah, it's, no. if it's publicly available, it's publicly available. So what do we what do we think should go in this building? I mean, come on. He's got one speed, right? He he's got Heights Mercantile, Montrose Collective. That's what he does. Uh he also formerly owned Clarkwood uh building and Andirons, that whole complex over there off of uh Allen Parkway. So he very much likes Montrose and all things Montrose and adjacent. And this is further evidence that Montrose is changing and rapidly and we can either recognize it or not. So I have no idea what his plans are. But if you just look at his past history, it's going to be mixed use. It's going to go vertical. I imagine he's going to have to add a parking garage. It's, you know, going to have, I'm sure, restaurant and bar components and office spaces on the higher floors and everything else. What I hope is that he partners with somebody local and keeps it local or you know, it doesn't immediately get sold to another outside um, third party, right? So he sold that development where Clarkwood and Andiron is to a um, out of US investor, right? So I don't know, I'd like somebody who understands Montrose and wants to keep like some little bit of the soul that Montrose has left in it. <laughs> well, no, I, I mean, I, I think that's, that's all said. I mean, to Steve's credit, if you look at MKT, if you look at the Montrose Collective, there's always been, you know, locally owned options that are part of that. Not to go too too far in the weeds on this, but, you know, MKT has Mala and Honeychild and Dagama from the Oporto people, you know, some, some local representation there. Montrose Collective, Fiora's Bottle Shop uh, that we've talked about and really like. Grand Cooper's in there with Gratify or no, Graffiti rather, excuse me. Um, <laughs> Common mistake. Easy to do. Yeah. Well, when you when you own one, when you own restaurants that are both called those things, it's going to happen. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so there's always that kind of room for for local. I mean, I 
you know, I I do hope that the that at least the theater's facade, right, that historic marquee stays intact and whatever happens to the building inside. And you know, I don't know that's, if that's a historical is is that a historical designated building? I wish I sh- that is like totally something I should know and I actually don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't know if it has any formal protections on it, but as someone who's been into this kind of adaptive reuse, I I do hope that 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 part of it stays intact. You can keep the facade and still go vertical, right? I mean, it's possible. It's just, you know, a lot of times developers don't understand part of the magic of something that they have, but I think he can and and has the ability to do that. I just, yeah, I would like the facade to stay. I am not surprised that this is being sold and that it would be redeveloped. I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's a very big space to fill and Acme going out gives a chance for some of those leases to be renegotiated or whatnot that remain in that strip center. Right. Yeah. We won't, we won't, we won't shutter any other businesses in that center quite yet. We'll wait and see kind of how those copy. announcements are handled. Is the best ever. So everybody in this industry goes to copy.com. Like we need, we need our copy.com. <laughs> well, and that mall of Situan has been a part of the neighborhood for a long time now. So I, you know, I certainly yeah. like to see that stick around, but, but again, Steve has an existing relationship with them and MKT. So. I wonder if he'll keep the adult clothing store and toy store. That's very yeah, Montrose. That that's old <laughs> Montrose. I that may not be long for this world. Don't people just buy that stuff on the internet now? Isn't that like maybe, why would you maybe go to a store? He could upgrade it to like agent provocateur. You know, like make it make it fancy, make it more there expensive. You, all right, that's a good way. That is a good way to move on to our second closing, which is that Common Bond has closed its downtown brass relocation. This also opened in 2021. Uh, it had a lot of promise. You know, I like this idea of Jason Gould, who we know from his time at Gravitas. Yes. You know, doing like kind of doing like the French food that we really loved from him in a kind of dramatic downtown restaurant setting with a nice wine list and good cocktails and then common bond pastries. Right. It, it seemed like a compelling mix. But but I do think, you know, downtown nightlife, especially kind of away from main street away like kind of it close enough to the theater district that it could have been a thing but i just i you know i think it kind of opened kind of before all that kind of got back on its feet maybe it didn't get the push that it deserved and and no shame on the common bond folks for just saying look our lease is up we're not going to renew we're going to focus on uh the bistros and the on the go locations that are successful and uh we're going to let this one this one go but i i did like the idea of this and and you know it does bum me out it was still probably a victim of COVID-19 or just slash white collar workers not returning downtown offices for five day work weeks as quickly as people thought that they would. You know, I still feel like downtown is healing in a lot of ways, getting tourists back and convention business back and people that are, this kind of feels like the first holiday season to me when I'm out at restaurants that it feels like corporations are actively entertaining on a real scale. I don't think that was the case even a year ago. Right. I, I think that's right. I think it's taken downtown a long time to come back off. I don't think office workers, most white collar jobs, I don't think will ever be in the office again five days a week. I, I don't think there's a lot of movement. Sir, for you that. don't work in law. <laughs> well, it, there's some exceptions, obviously, obviously some exceptions, but, 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 you know, even, but like the energy, like Shell used to be a staple downtown and they've, they've moved out to the energy corridor, gave up, uh, you know, their spaces on McKinney and Louisiana. So that makes us change quite a bit. And yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that this didn't work out for the common bond people, but obviously 
common bond as a whole is fine. And, and I'm sure this space will not stay empty for long. Agreed. All right, let's move on to topic number two. Benberg is opening Tavola, his new fine dining Italian restaurant. This week, it is located next to the Annie Cafe in Turner's in the downstairs part of what used to be La Tab. Uh, Mary, I, we've had a lot of Italian restaurants in this town that have opened in the last year or so, but this, you know, Tavola is special, I think. The, the interesting thing, of course, is that La Tab was run by the Bastion Collection, which is this New York-based hospitality firm associated with Joel Robichon that runs Le Jardinet at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. And so, you know, they have this kind of national or global reach, and they've used that to recruit a chef named Luca Di Benedetto to be the executive chef for both Tavola and then whatever's going upstairs. Apparently, it will not be Latab. It's going to be something new that they haven't announced. And he worked for this guy. This is this is where I this is where I come up short. Gualtiero Marchese, I think, considered okay. to be the father of modern Italian cooking. Gualtiero uh, Marchese, you nailed it. He's worked at other Michelin-starred restaurants in Italy and beyond. He worked for the Giorgio Armani Group. So, Mary, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that you know we have not had a, a chef of the caliber of Luca Di Benedetto come to town maybe since Maurizio Ferrarese was running Quattro at the Four Seasons and, and is now at at the, you know, the Hotel Grand Duca in Uptown Park. And I just think it's, I just think it's really impressive. So I, you know, I don't know very much about him, but the resume is, is sterling and it makes me more interested in Tavola than maybe I had been before I knew that he was going to be the chef. I'm excited for, listen, Italian sushi, those kind of seem to be the two most popular trends of openings this past year, in my opinion. But we'll see how this goes. Ben Berg has proven himself as an operator that can open a seemingly unendless amount of restaurants to much uh, success and acclaim. And it's really impressive. Uh, I, I do think we might be at market saturation for Italian. so. Uh, I'll, I'll want to wait and, and see how they execute this, but I'm sure it's going to be delicious. Uh, I, I kind of alternate between the DeMarcos and the Giacomos of the world. I mean, you can go low, you can go high, you can go middle tier here. So I'll, I'll be interested to see where their price points hit and the quality of the ingredients, I'm sure will be great as well. Yeah, I think that when I talked to Ben about uh, Chef Luca, he said, his appreciation for ingredients, his use of ingredients, his sourcing were really all the things that kind of drew him to hiring him. So I, I think that's all good. And of course, you know, we're going to talk about LaGroya here in a couple of minutes, but that now has a more fine dining approach with a, a consulted chef with an impressive resume. And of course, you know, Lombardi Italian restaurant just opened in Uptown Park last weekend. And, and that has, you know, they they got the guy who had created the menu for Zanti. So, you know, also an Italian chef with with a pretty impressive resume. So if I thought about sort of Italian in the Uptown Galleria area, you know, the two big ones that come to mind would be North Italia, obviously, and then Il Bracco, which is a restaurant that we've talked about quite a bit that I like very much. Um, but they're more casual. And now we have two uh, more fine dining options with Tavola and Lombardy, and it'll just be interesting to see how, you know, people are going to go try them, and they'll start making some decisions about 
what they like better. But but I certainly wouldn't bet against uh, Ben Berg, especially not with a chef like Luca Di Benedetto in the kitchen. I'm always going to vote on the hometown team. So, you know, excited to see what everybody does, but more excited to see what somebody from Houston does. Absolutely. All right. And then topic number three, just briefly, Matt Pack and Sean Bermudez from the Burger Joint and the Taco Stand have confirmed uh, that they are opening a pizzeria right down the street. In keeping with their naming convention, it will be called the Pizza Place. It is expected to open in the fall. Matt's working on a, a pizza crust recipe that'll be, it'll kind of have the chew of a Neapolitan, but the crispiness of a New York, uh, which sounds pretty good to me. Mary, let me let me just ask you, I mean, you know, we've had a lot of new pizza. Monica, Dana, and I talked about that some last week, you know, with Nobis and Elro and Coastline and Gold Tooth Tony's and everything else. So I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about the pizza place coming to the Heights? Mm, I mean, these guys know what they're doing. Like Burger Joint does very well. It doesn't really, I mean, you can just tell by the Uber line outside of any of their establishments. That's basically nonstop. Uh, I haven't been to talk the taco stand, but I also see that that's very busy when I drive by. I think this is a good, uh, I think this is a good filler for them in the Heights. I know some pizza places have come and gone in the Heights over the past several years. So, you know, they're, they know their they know their target audience. This is a good place for them to be. Uh, I'll be interested to try it myself. I really think Gold Tooth Tony's for being such a tiny little retail imprint is such a good spot. I really love that they've opened in the Heights, and I like that style of pizza. The ingredients are really good. The combos of flavors are awesome. So, I think there's plenty of room in the Heights for this. You've got lots of families. Lots of young people. Pizza is a good, safe bet. And you know, to the point. I mean, Taco Stand. You know, I don't. I don't know that they will ever make anyone's list of the best tacos in Houston. But I find myself eating there with some regularity because it's so. It's relatively affordable. It's very convenient because it's got the drive-through. And so, if I'm passing through the Heights and I want to get myself a quick lunch or a snack or something, it's it's very easy to pull into that drive-through and get a couple tacos and a, you know, a limonada or, a, you know, a soda or whatever, and then go on about my way. And I, I find it to be very, it's like the food is very consistent. It's, it's good. Like it, it doesn't have to be the best to be tasty and, and convenient and affordable and, and work, you know, work for me. So, you know, I like, I like it for all of those reasons. And, and I have a feeling I will feel similarly about the pizza place. Will it be my favorite pizzeria? Probably not. Will it be good? Will it will it find an audience? I mean, almost certainly. I'd be I'd be very, very surprised. And we have to remind ourselves that we're like the tiniest, tiniest percentage of people that get to try all these different things and you know, definitely a little bit on the bougie profile of the things that we like in life in terms of food. And most people are going to love this as an offering for the heights, right? It doesn't have to be bespoke. Right. It really just has to be better. It has to be better. Is it better or than Domino's or Pizza Hut or well, that, yeah, Papa it John's? Has to be, it has to be better <laughs> than the National Chains, and it has to hold its own with Crust Pizza that opened basically across the street at 20th and Shepherd. So if it if it does those things, then all to the good. I was going to lunch at Cotta today, and now all I want is pizza. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, not sorry. All right, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. 
We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. Mary, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about two new, or well, one one new and one rebooted fine dining restaurants. Let's start with Kakodi. This is the French-inspired restaurant that has opened in the River Oak Shopping Center directly across the street from Brasserie 19. Obviously, this is a restaurant that we've been anticipating for quite some time. It comes from uh, Chef David Denis and his brother Sylvan, who ran La Mistral. There's another, there's another chef that's in the kitchen with David, who's also French and also has uh, also worked at La Mistral. I mean, let's get into this. Talk, talk to start, start with kind of setting an environment because this is this is one of the more dramatic looking, uh, more stunning dining rooms we've seen in Houston in a while. So it is December. This is normally the time of year where I would be going to New York to try new restaurants with my mom. We take a girls' trip every fall, and this is a restaurant that honestly the design is so stunning. It feels like you could be in any international city. And I mean that as a compliment. It's over the top and understated at the same time. Like the colors are very, in my opinion, are a welcome escape from a typical fine dining restaurant, which sometimes is like a lot of wood and a lot of dark colors. This is on the lighter side. It's more, you know, it, I don't want to say female, but it's it's more feminine. It's softer and it's very elegant. Um I could imagine taking my mom here. I could imagine going with my girlfriends. It's a date night spot. They have private dining rooms and a lounge area. So you could use those for corporate functions. I've never seen a restaurant design quite like this in Houston, to be honest. Uh, it's a bit over the top, which I think in some ways Houston likes an over the top restaurant right now. I mean, there's been this resurgence in fine dining French is a category I'm intimately familiar with, having owned and operated French restaurants for 10 years in this town. I think I think Houston is weird about French, to be honest. I think sometimes we really love French, and then sometimes we don't love it as much. It kind of goes through waves versus Italian or sushi, which always seems to be a popular category. Uh, I feel like right now... People like the Aaron Bluedorns of the world and fine dining French. And I also feel like they like the Cafe Rabelais, uh, the B19s, the more casual you can pop in, don't need a reservation type of spot. So this feels very formal. Um, I haven't been for lunch yet. I'm hoping that lunch feels a little more approachable or, or brunch. But this is an over the top restaurant in every single way. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of, you know, we've had we've had quite a bit of new French kind of open this year. Tour uh, in Rice Village, uh, PS Twenty One, Philippe Schmidt's new restaurant in Upper Kirby. Uh, those have both been uh, very welcome. You know, CL has a kind of a French tinge to it, but you may not be necessarily going there for the food. But but you know, this is I mean, this is like a this is a very ambitious obviously very expensive restaurant and you're right i mean that dining room does give it that sense of occasion and they you know they work with a, a very well regarded local designer on the on the interior i think you you know her i think yes nina magnon and uh yes she's local but she does hospitality concepts all over the world 
and she's very very well known i mean she's got a beautiful eye and and they were smart for for hiring her it it definitely stands out amongst other restaurants within river Oak shopping center and across the city it's it's incredibly elegant yeah and let's talk food too because you know we you know when when this restaurant was first announced they you know the the pr team or whatever was at some pains to to emphasize that they they don't consider it a French restaurant, um, but having dined there, I have to say, this is it, the most French restaurant Houston's ever seen. So that's yeah, ridiculous. I mean, I mean, it's it feels very French, right? Like we had, <laughs> you know, we had lobster bisque, we had with a half a lobster in it, by the way, right? Which no, no, no. Delicious. I want to talk. Right, I want to talk about. I want to. I want to break down the specifics of of all of those things. But yeah, <laughs> of, but yeah, you know, we had lamb right we had a we had lamb saddle we had um, heirloom tomato burrata right right burrata stuffed inside an heirloom tomato and then uh linguine with clams so or spaghetti with clams i guess and then a and then a berry tart a deconstructed berry tart uh for dessert i say all that when i think about lobster bisque and roasted lamb like that's pretty freaking french so if 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 that doesn't make it a, a French restaurant, then I, you know, you've I don't know what French chefs. Is. You've got a French maitre d. You've got a French leaning wine list. Yes, there's California in there and some other regions, but heavily dominated French list. I mean, there's not there's nothing wrong with. I, I know there are reasons that they, they don't want to say that they're French, but you know, it's not a bad thing. It's not a dirty four-letter word. It's sophisticated dining that is very reflective of a lot of three two one star michelin restaurants i've been to in france that have this beautiful dining room that's highly designed just like it would be uh, abroad so that's just my opinion but i've dined at a lot of michelin restaurants in france so it it reminds me of a lot that would be in paris or, or a major city right not necessarily the rural michelin rated ones but south of france Paris. Absolutely. All right. So we've established that it has sort of a Michelin quality setting. Did you think the food lived up to this? Did you think the food lived up to the environment? What did, what did you think of what we ate? I thought our first course actually like blew me away. Uh, I thought our lobster bisque, I'm very funny about lobster bisque because a lot of times these are my following gripes about lobster bisque in general, either a, you can't taste the flavor of lobster or B you can't see any lobster inside of the lobster soup and you're usually paying a premium or C it's too heavy, right? It's like they use too much cream and everything else. This one hit on every level. I mean, they literally used half a lobster in it. Yes. It's an expensive soup, but I do think you're getting value for your money on this dish. It's $36, I believe plus or minus. Right. No, I think that's right. It was light. The broth was light. You had the taste of lobster and you definitely had enough uh, lobster bites within it uh, that there was enough for the two of us to share. Because at first you were like, what, we're ordering soup to share? And I was like, yeah, we are. It has half a lobster in it. I'm ordering that. Done. <laughs> and then I thought the heirloom tomato dish was like stunning. I I thought I, I thought it was so pretty and so well presented and it had you know, plenty of that like Beautiful. bright fresh tomato flavor, creamy cheese. Like it, the plating I, was honestly, very French. It was beautiful. Yeah, that was that was for me. That was the best thing we ate. Yeah, Cody. 
I would I would go back for that burrata tomato. Yeah, those two dishes were like the highlights of the meal for me. I thought entrees. I don't I don't think there were any errors in terms of preparation per se. I thought that the dish that we had um, with the clams, I had wished that it had had the shell. There's something nice about you know going through that process when you're eating and that you're like part of that dish and. I like that, um, but maybe for whatever reason they didn't want to do that. They definitely had plenty of of the protein of that dish within it, so it was there. But you didn't pick up a lot of the flavors of that dish. It was kind of too subtle for me. Um, and then the lamb, we had the lamb saddle, which I thought was a nice alternative to lamb chops. To be honest, had gnocchi, and it came out. You started on that dish while I had started on the pasta, and then we switch but you commented while you're eating yours that it was a little cold and I touched it and it was to be honest it was cooked perfectly but it still had no heat to it whatsoever so we asked them to send it back they did and then the flavors of the lamb popped like they should have the first time and the gnocchi tasted the way it probably should have been the first time but also this restaurant's brand new I'll give them I mean it's still a they were only a week old when we went there so they get a they get a break from you know, heavy, heavy criticism that being their first go out the gate. And then dessert for me was, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to walk a careful line here. It was beautifully plated and had, and wasn't of a lot of substance in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, just, just to sort of follow up, right. The, <laughs> you know, the, the $72 lamb saddle, it just, it wasn't, yes, you're right. It was cooked medium rare as requested. It looked nice on the plate, but but it just needed to be like hotter in temperature. And so, you know, you were assertive and sent it back and they heated it up for us. And and then the flavors clicked. Right. It's like, OK, now it tastes like what it's supposed to. So, you know, clearly, clearly working out some kinks there. You know, we sort of disagreed about the the bucatini with the, the clams in it. Right. Because I, I was very happy with the quantity of clam. Right. Yeah, like that's it was one there. of those things. There, there was a lot of clam in the bowl. It, it all kind of sunk to the bottom, but you could, you could fish them out. But yeah, that, that, you know, presentation of clams in the shell uh, is very elegant. That is usually how that dish is plated. And so not seeing that was a little bit like, didn't quite fit the environment. You would expect a restaurant of this caliber to give you a mix of some shelled clam and some clam still in the shell that you pluck out yourself. But now I want to go to Clark's for that dish right now. Like it's like <laughs> right at Clark's. At, right, I had it at Clark's. They played it in the shell. Right, I had it at Navy. I've had it at Navy Blue. And you get some clam. You get some clams in their shells. Right, that's a nice. It's kind of an interactive thing to fish the clams out of the shell and add it into your pasta. So I'm with you on there. And then you know, there's really no other word for the dessert other than just disappointing. It's it's it was it's pretty. supposed to be a very tart. It's it's very pretty. It's plated to look like a face, complete with a a sauce little like lipstick. It's like smile a supermodel with no personality. But it was bland, <laughs> you know. It was tiny. It it just it was like I would I would not order that again, right? Like pretty that. To, pretty to look at, not not offering the value for what it is. It's sixteen dollars. I don't know. I like wanted ice cream afterwards. I <laughs> I wanted something. I wanted I wanted I wanted my money back. No, no, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't go. We didn't go that far. Um, no, and, and it was I will really say, pretty. Right, and I Drinks will say, were good cocktails were good. Wine was co- good. Cocktails were good. Wine was good. Service was very friendly. Uh, you know, it's it's very rare 
uh, <laughs> for you and I to dine together and not be not have either set it up with the restaurant in advance or to be acknowledged in, on some level. This is one of those times like I don't think that they we got out of there. Nobody knew who we were. I, I think I think we were we were treated. I think we were treated the same as every other diner, which is to say fairly fair, like friendly and, and warmly and, and with hospitality. But but no, nothing special, nothing beyond what what anybody else gets. And so, you know, I, it's one of those rare times I can say, like, I think we I think we got an authentic dining experience. And and I think, you know, for your money, I think you will be uh, fairly well treated there. It's just I think if they if, if they had known who we were, I think the lamb would have been hotter. You know, like I think they might have sent us an extra <laughs> dessert or two. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm glad to have had an authentic experience. It's so rare. And I I do think. You know, here's my biggest thing. You're going to spend money here, whether you go, you know, what, no matter what occasion you go here for, they do offer a business lunch for $35. And I do want to try that business lunch. And I do want to try that brunch because otherwise for me, it's going to be in a special occasion type of party. I actually have a um, holiday party for work related that I'm going to there this Friday. But in general, it's going to be a fine dining category for me unless I, you know, see lunch or brunch and and that's the speed i want to be at at the price point i want to be at so definitely in an upper tier price category for dinner right i mean french food is almost never my first choice so this is not going to be in the rotation for me but i'm glad that we tried it i'm glad we had a good experience and and i wouldn't i wouldn't hesitate to go back if other friends wanted to go right if someone said to me like oh let's try it for brunch or let's try it for lunch or you know, I saw I saw that lobster bisque. I want to go there for dinner. I would be happy to go back, but but will I seek it out? Will it make my rotation? Probably not. But that's just that's my relationship with with most French restaurants. Well, there you go. All right, and then one more. Even though we're running a little bit long, but I do want to talk about uh, the new Lagroya that moved from its location in the River Oak Shopping Center to the Harlow District, which sort of puts it next to Katami and Verde Garden. Uh, Mary, as I said on the show a few weeks ago with Felice, I have a very special relationship with LaGroya. It was my late father's favorite restaurant. And so, you know, it has a, it has whatever, whatever its merits in, in its most recent history, you know, it has a special place in my heart, even, even if I hadn't been there in a long time, but I am going to say, you know, we've, we've seen this kind of, uh, this new trend of, of 2023, the glow up, right? The, a restaurant moves. And then, and then it's, it changes its look or its approach and it, it sort of, it has the old name, but it feels different, right? We, we just saw that with, uh, we just saw that with street to kitchen that just moved down the street to a, a bigger, nicer looking location. You know, I think in a couple of weeks, we'll talk about the new wild oats that moved from the, the farmer's market to spring branch to a, a really nice new location. So I'm just going to say very explicitly, this is not my father's Lagroya. This is, this is not a restaurant that... <laughs> That Dr. Sandler would recognize because it it looks nothing like the old location. The, the murals are gone. That big open room where you can kind of see everybody is gone. It's it's really kind of three distinct spaces. It it's a it's a kind of a small main dining room, a pretty large bar and lounge area, and then a a covered climate controlled patio that gives it even more seating. Uh, and then they've got some private dining spaces upstairs. So, you know, this is this is a very different restaurant and that extends to the menu 
which, you know, they brought in a consultant and and they redid about 60% of the menu. But, you know, the overall effect is that this is a much more fine dining Italian restaurant than it, than it ever used to be. And so let me just ask you, I mean, you, you have probably a similar history with La to mine. So what did you think of, of this transformation? I am so excited about it. And it's pretty rare for me to be this excited about the <laughs> Tillman Fertitta restaurant in general. Um, but he's really done, done the legacy of, of this restaurant's history really well. Like he, he's done it a solid, uh, the building it overtook formerly was an Italian restaurant owned by a local family. A lot of people know Vincent's new Vincent's and Nino's went there. Grappino's went there before. Uh, and he spent, it's not even about how that he spent a lot of money on this. He spent a lot of thoughtful money on this project. Uh, the patio is completely climate controlled, but also al fresco. So it's got heaters and uh, cooling fans on it, but it, the roof can also retract open, seats 80 people, has an outdoor bar, and the seating feels good. It feels loungy, like you want to be there. The interior bar looks great, and the lounge area looks wonderful. And also the dining room, and I picked up on this and I said it to somebody, I was like, that dining room looks like Cipriani, like looks like the one in Mexico City I've been to. It looks like the ones in New York and Soho and Midtown I've been to. It's got this black and white Art Deco vibe and glossy wood veneer walls. It's really elegant. The food, no offense to the old LeGreg, but the, the food is outstanding. It's significantly better than where I thought uh, it was in its previous iteration and location. So the pizzas are great. The pastas are good. They're doing uh, how much we had a crudo dish one night that was delicious. The artichoke, like delicately fried. It's, it's really, really good. And I saw five different friend groups there on a recent night that I was there that are all not connected to each other. So that tells you how many people and what types of people want to go here? No, I, I think that's all well said. I think, you know, they they brought in Mark Ladner, who held two Michelin stars when he worked at Del Posto, which was kind of the crown jewel of uh, Mario Batali and Joe Bastianich's empire to transform the menu. And then, you know, they've got uh, Pat Summers as the chef de cuisine who worked at Trinity under Ryan Hildebrand for a long time. So, uh, and then four Landry's at uh, Brenner's on the Bayou. So, so Pat's a Pat's a talented guy, a young guy with the with a good grasp of technique and and running a kitchen. And so, I think I'd say the food at Lagroya is is probably as good as it has been since uh, Tony Valone sold it to to Landry's. And and in some ways, maybe and Tony Valone loved Del Posto. So I kind of find all of this ironic. Chef Olivier loves Del Posto. He and Tony used to go to Del Posto every year together when Olivier was the executive chef at Tony's. So it's kind of fun. It's like a very full circle moment. Like Tony would be proud. I think he would be happy with, with what this new menu looks like. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was there for a birthday, so we, we went a little crazy, right? We got the, the table side pasta with the truffles and the table side chicken. That's, I mean, it's a whole chicken. It's, it's nominally for two, but you could split it uh, a couple other ways if you were so inclined. I mean, I had tortellini and brodo for my appetizer that comes with this like really like rich and hearty veal stock that was so, so delicious. And then, you know, one of Mark Ladner's recipes is is his bolognese, which is made over like 
the course of two days and it involves cooking each protein separately and then bringing them together at the end with the dairy uh, so that the flavors are all meld properly. And, and it's just a, it's an impressive construction. Now I, I will say, you know, I, I love the, the cassata cake from the old Agroya days, uh, the angel food with the sliced strawberries on the side that is gone. <laughs> that, that, that presentation has been completely reworked. <laughs> the, the flavors, the flavors are right, but it does not, it does not look like the cake that I ate on prom night in 1996. And, and that, uh, it hurt my feelings a little bit, but I'll, I'll get over it. Um, so yeah, I didn't see a dessert cart or tray on the few times that I've been there. Like I did not see that. No, the cart, I, I asked Brandon Bush, who's the longtime uh, general manager, now a Landry's executive, who's overseen all of this at LaGroya. And he said that the cart went away during the pandemic and it's not coming back because as, as much as I liked the cart, it, it, uh, and I'm not even sure where they would, I mean, the, the tables are, are pretty close together. Like, I don't even know if they could get the dessert cart to all the tables, uh, even if they wanted to. So say la vie, sad, sad, shed, shed a tear for the, the Lagruya dessert <laughs> cart, but, uh, it can but still be quali- found at grottos, I think maybe. Well, and the quality and the quality of the desserts was really first rate. So I'm not, not, not too sad about it, but it, it, um, <laughs> Lagroya went from being kind of a casual, a more casual spot, kind of at the level of Carabas, to now being kind of in that Patente, DeMarco, I guess Tavola level. And and I mean, you can kind of read the Yelp and Google reviews. Some people are really excited about that. Some people are not. <laughs> uh, they miss their old dishes. They miss the more casual environment. But if this is what Tillman Fertitta wanted to do with with the restaurant to make it relevant in in 2023. Uh, I will say we had we had a great meal and and I, as someone who had not been to Grill in a long time, uh, very happy to have it back and and this might be in my rotation. Like I I could definitely see myself going back for for more of those possibilities. This is going to be in my rotation. I, it's very funny because I was uh, with Charles Clark, the owner of Brasserie Nineteen, last week talking to him and he's a good friend of mine and just talking about all these new restaurants that have opened in River Oak Shopping Center and I said you know. I don't think you have to worry about all these restaurants that have opened. I said, I think your biggest competition is La Grilla. And I do think that's, that's true. It, it, it seems like a place where people can post up at a bar, stay there for a while, be taken care of, sit in the lounge or the patio. The patio has a TV. You can watch a game, have a meal. I don't know. It's, it's inviting. And I think when you invite people to stay in an environment like this, you'll get regulars and they will spend money and, Tillman's very good at developing that. Absolutely. All right. Anything else on LaGroya? That's it. All right. Then, Mary, I'm going to say that does it for today's episode. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. That's it for today's show. Join me on Thursday when my guests will be Aaron Bluedorn and Alexandra Pena.